Hello, you're listening to the Spiritual Abuse Podcast, and my name is Eddie. This is Joseph. Today, we're having one of my friends and his wife, um, Christian and Stephanie Johnson, join us, and they have a very interesting story. Um, grew up in the church, um, Christian specifically. Um, he's been involved with, um, what did you say, Christian, like 10 churches over the past seven to eight years or so? Uh, it's, it's probably been right about that. Yeah. If not, if not more truth be told. Yeah. He has a career as a worship pastor. So just like Eddie, um, he has experience of being deep, deep, deep into the culture of many different churches. So I'm excited to dive into his story. I've heard a little bit of what he's been through, and I think it's going to be healing and therapeutic for those of us who have been in any sort of leadership capacity where we've experienced some sort of spiritual abuse, or maybe if you've been on a staff context and you think you're experiencing spiritual abuse. But yeah, with all that to say, I want to welcome Christian and Stephanie. So welcome to the podcast, uh, guys. Yeah, thank thank you for having us. Thank you for uh, for what you guys are doing. It's certainly a uh, uh, you know is is therapeutic as you said, and so this is we're we're excited to be a part of it and give our story and hoping that it will do the same for for other people. So yeah, so so yeah, what's your story like? Where do, where do you want to start on your story? Because it sounds like there's a lot packed up in there. <laughs> yeah, there really is. Um, so um, we we both and and I'll kind of give these kind of parallel we both grew up in the church um stephanie i'll give your your story a little bit first um if you're okay with that um stephanie grew up uh in in a christian home essentially um i say essentially because her uh her grandmother her grand her grandmother raised her um for most of her life when she was about four um her her mother essentially dropped her off on the front porch of her grandma's house um and, and said i can't take care of these kids it was her uh, at four years old, her younger sister at two, and um, her brother at months old um, dropped all three of them off um, at the front porch of her grandma's house, uh, essentially. And um, so it was it was a very uh, uh, interesting situation in the fact that my story was totally different from that. And we kind of met in a weird part of both of our lives. I grew up in a Christian home. Both parents were married for my entire life, still are married to this day. Um, and uh, still have a great relationship. Um, I mean, grew up in a wonderful home. Um, most of what I dealt with was was outside sources. Uh, most of the the uh, the not only spiritual abuse but psychological abuse that I dealt with, which was a lot of what was early on, and I'll get into that later, um, was was dealt with outside of it. I say most, almost all of it. Um, you know, other than you know parents, you know parents being parents when you're young, you know, and, and you have those, those moments of hearing them argue in the other room or whatever. But, but I mean, even then it was always, you know, I was always taught, you know, we, we deal with these issues. You don't go to, you don't go to bed angry at each other. And so that, that's just, that was the kind of house that I grew up in. My dad was always respectful of my mom. Um, grew up in a very good Christian home. And so, um, yeah, uh, uh, when I was, oh goodness, 12 or 13, um, picked up a guitar for the first time, never thought it would ever be something that, you know, would turn into a career or turn into something that I would be passionate about. Just liked music. And so I ended up picking up a guitar. Um, and, uh, when I was 14 or 15, started volunteering at church, uh, I knew I could sing. And so, um, I just put that, that, you know, put that to work and, and, you know, uh, in the way that I thought I could. And, uh, uh, yeah, I ended up volunteering at our church and that kind of, where's is where the passion kind of took off i ended up going to um church camp that summer 
um, and committing my life to ministry and um, just really feeling like that's where God was calling me. And again, a very good, you know, Christian Christian camp. Yeah. So, so you said you felt that call to ministry at that Christian camp. Can you describe that experience maybe briefly of how you knew I want to go into ministry one, but specifically this form of ministry? Yeah. So, I mean, I knew, I knew I was passionate about that. And I just remember, um, actually, um, what, what happened was, is we were, um, it wasn't even so much at Christian camp that I felt the calling. It was, that was when I took the calling. Um, but I, uh, I was, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of, uh, uh, Ricardo Sanchez, um, but he's won several devil awards, power of the cross. If you get a chance, highly recommend looking him up. He's a fantastic, uh, fantastic musician. Uh, not only that, but fantastic worship pastor. Every time uh, you can just feel Jesus come off of him every time you hear him, every time you, you, you know, have him in the room. Um, and, I mean, he, you know, he can be 300 yards away from you, but you can feel it. I mean, it's just this, uh, I don't know how else to explain it, but the spiritual musk that comes off of him when he walks in the room. Um, and you can just feel the passion from, from his heart. But anyway, uh, we went to a small event. Um, like I said, he's a Dove Award-winning artist, very well-known. And he was actually at a, a small church uh, here in Tulsa, or here really in the Broken Arrow area. And um, I uh, had gotten the opportunity. He was the, the pastor of the church was a friend of my mom's, and he had invited us. So we go to this, this event with him. He's got his full band, and there's maybe 40 to 50 people in the crowd I mean, it was like super intimate, worshipful moment, and we just got to hear him, 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 uh, 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 essentially just worship, you know, over us. That really is what it was, um, and it was just so powerful. It just hit me. That was when it really hit me. It hit me like a ton of bricks. Um, I mean, it was just. I, I. It felt like God pounding me in the face at that point. I mean, it was just. It was. It was that moment of realization of this is what I need to be doing. Um, and just the passion. I mean, I remember wanting to just run around the room because it was just, I could feel it coming off of me. Um, you know, and, and, um, yeah, it was, it was just a really powerful moment of, of, of understanding. And, and again, I was still so young uh, at that time was still really young and wasn't sure what that meant. And so when I got to go, uh, when I was at church camp within the next couple of years, I can't remember when it was, but it was like, I want to say within the next couple of years, they were talking about accepting the calling, you know, that Christ has on your life. And I was like, okay, well, what does that look like? And, and of course it was nice because it was like all these questions that I was asking myself were being answered in the process. And so it just, you know, there's those God moments where it's like everything you get ready to say before you even think it, all of a sudden it's being answered kind of thing. And, and that's the way it was. It was like every time I even got ready to think, okay, well, what, you know, what's my next question? It was already being answered. And uh, so I just kind of felt like this is the, this is my opportunity to say, this is what I'm going to do. And you know, it's kind of, you know, the almost a baptism kind of thing. You're, you're, you know, you're declaring in front of your church family, this is what you want to do. Um, and so um, at least that's what it was for me. Um, and so I, I, um, I, uh, I, I walked up, had an opportunity to sit down with one of the, one of the um, volunteers there and just talk about that. Of course, it was kind of funny because his, his, um, uh, his story was almost kind of the same. He was in worship ministry. That was where he was called to. And so I got to sit down with him, was just, was just uh, um, uh, paired with him unintentionally. I mean, there were 150, you know, or so um, volunteers, not including the 300 people that are, you know, down on the, down on the floor um, accepting their calling. And um, I sit down with this guy and he's telling me, you know, this is the same thing that happened to me. And so it was just really neat. It was a really cool moment. You know, it was like all these pieces are meshing together and you can't help but sit there and go, this has got to be God. You know, it was just a really cool opportunity. And so, um, yeah, I just remember that being a, a 
very defining part of of what I wanted to do um and so yeah I mean it was it was a really really neat experience at least for me whenever whenever I was accepting that and I just I, I get excited when I talk about it because I, I mean that that's that's my passion. That's what I want to do with my such life. a pivotal pivotal moment in your life. So it sounds like yeah. you really encountered God in this intimate worship experience, and you you're like, I encountered God in such a powerful way. I want to help other people encounter God in this same way or a similar way, primarily through music. And that's so cool that you got to be just just talk to another worship pastor and just have that clarity for you. Like, this is what I want to do. So, so from there. Oh yeah. Yeah. It, it, to me, it, it, yeah. To me, it just sounds like I, I, I hear the word like pure and authentic. It just seems like a, a, a real thing. Yeah. And that's kind of what I was thinking, what I was getting ready to say too, is like, there wasn't nothing, anything like amazing about it. There wasn't this like one second or moment where it was like, this is what it's supposed to be. Other than when we were in the midst of, of that worship experience with Ricardo but but it wasn't like any specific moment where it was like oh my gosh this is it this is what I'm called to there was it wasn't yeah it was like you said pure authentic just very simplistic I think is even a good word for it moment with God you know Christian one of the things you know we've gotten some feedback from our first podcast and uh, I just want our listeners to know that uh, we just have to make this really really clear that we're we're, we're definitely you know we, we're pointing people towards Jesus. We're, we're, we're pointing people towards the church. And there's some people that think that we might be possibly coming in at it from an angle to, to, uh, Un- undermine know, it, call out the church. Yeah. And, and that's just not the case because, right. you know, these are real authentic people with real authentic stories. And our, our, our mission is for Kristen and Stephanie to be able to share their story of, you know, where it went off the rails and what happened. And that's what we're doing. So if anyone's listening, I'm sorry for interrupting, but I, I just, I felt like that was a good poignant point to, to bring that up right yeah, there. So go ahead, Joseph. So Christian, so you felt a call to ministry and you said you were how old at this time? This would have probably been 12 to 13, maybe 14. Wow. So it's like you had that defining moment of having a pretty good idea of what you want to do with your life at a pretty young age. That's, that's right. pretty empowering. That's yeah. Really yeah. I mean, and, and, and I, you know, I think there's, uh, I'm not trying to get biblical here or anything, but I do, I mean, you know, the way I've grown up is there's an age of accountability. There's this point in your life where you realize I have to have a relationship with Jesus um, or I'm going to end up in hell. Um, and, you know, even though that's the sad and unfortunate truth, that's, that's kind of how I've always been raised. And so, it all kind of happened really quickly, especially, and I'm sure that uh, both of you can relate to this and the fact of when you're growing up in the church, you kind of have that earlier than a lot of, you know, a lot of other people who aren't grow, who don't grow up in the church have that of you just have this realization of like, I I need to get my life together, um, you know, and of course nobody's perfect, nobody's, you know, we're we're all messed up and and gross and, uh, you know, and so it the, the idea that you know. It's this, again, this spiritual, amazing moment with God is is uh, an, an overstatement, I think. I don't think there's any moment where you sit there and you're like, I mean, I've had those moments where you're like, oh my gosh, I can feel God in the midst of this situation, but I don't feel like that's how he works. And I think the Bible explains that very vividly. Um, the, the little moments and the little things are where God shows up biggest. Um, and I think that was always... I mean, that's always been the way that I was raised is that's how, that's how it happens. So 
uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a pivotal point in, you know, in, in my life, but, you know, was it all an awe-inspiring story? Probably not, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, it, was, uh, it was a deeply personal and spiritual experience for you that maybe people around you may have not shared the same dramatic experience, but it was, but God met you in such a personal, real way. And no one can tell you it was manipulated or orchestrated or fabricated because it was just such a encounter. It's hard to explain and put into words. I love that. So from this point, 12 or 13, you know, you know what you want to do with your life. You know, you have an idea of what outlet you want to do ministry. Um, did you start getting involved right away with that church? Um, were you volunteering or did you get involved with the youth group? Like, what does it look like? And what was this church like uh, specifically? Yeah. So um, uh, at this point in time, we were going to a pretty large church um, here in the Tulsa Broken Arrow area. Um and, uh, so, uh, uh, I mean, I had, I had plenty of people around me that were encouraging me in that, um, you know, and, and I was actually, we had friends, um, my parents are originally from, uh, Oklahoma as well. And they're from a small town outside of, um, outside of Stillwater. Um, so if you know, Oklahoma state university, about 30 minutes outside of, of Stillwater or so. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we, uh, uh, we had friends or my parents had friends that they were um, going to, they had connections with this large Baptist church camp. And so I had already been kind of going with them um, for the first couple of years um, when they had a, a band that was actually coming with us to lead our in-cabin worship time. And um, so I got a, it was actually neat because they were like a recording artist at that point in time or up and coming. And, uh, if I said their name, you would, well, I mean, I guess it doesn't really matter. They're, they've always been great friends of mine. Um, but uh, they, at the time, were called Consumed by Fire. They're actually moving over into secular music music now. Um, but they are, um, uh, uh, like, really, you know, at least a decent friends of, of mine at the time. And uh, so it was really neat because, I mean, I'm like, I'm like, you know, awestruck, you know, even though they're not that big. Um, but I'm like right, awestruck right. over these guys. <laughs> and like, I mean, I'm just a young teenager, like, get wanting to go into music and, and, and seeing what they're doing and just, you know, just awestruck. And so I had some, actually had some really good conversations with them. Um, we, with the way the bunks were set up in our cabin at the church camp, I was actually sharing a bed with hmm. one of them. They had taken two twin beds oh, and wow. pushed them together. So we had the small queen bed, um, which that's another story. From another time. <laughs> it was a funny joke that I ended up waking up one night with literally one of them uh, and he will deny it to this day. So Caleb, if you're hearing this, uh, this did happen. Uh, you're a liar if you say otherwise. But I woke, <laughs> I woke up one night and he was holding, cuddling me like a teddy bear. Um, and and I said, Caleb, and of course I'm like hanging about at least six or seven inches off the bed. So if he lets go, I'm falling, I'm falling six feet to the floor because this was a bunk bed style bed. And um, I said, I said, Caleb, and he go, he goes, yeah. I said, why are you holding me? And all of a sudden he real slowly pulls his hand off. And, and I mean, I had to like grab onto the side of the bed just to stop from falling. And he will deny it to this day that any of that ever happened. But, but I, I promise you, I woke up at three o'clock in the morning and remember the whole thing. And even his brother will tell you he saw the whole thing happen. So <laughs> it was, it was just one of those things. But anyway, a, a long, long rabbit trail to say that we just had a, a really neat connection in the process. And after they ended up leaving a few years later, cause they didn't come back. They, they were there with us for a couple of years. And then, of course, the next year they didn't come back. 
Um, but this, uh, I ended up taking over leading the in-cabin worship. And keep in mind, I didn't say this, but the church that I was going with, they were very small. Um, so we were going to church at a, you know, essentially mega church. And then I was leading with this smaller church that my family knew, um, you know, the pastors. Um, and I mean, we at the most one year, I think we had 15 kids. Um, so it was a very small group, but it was really neat because there was, there was a lot of opportunity for intimacy and the pastors were so encouraging. And so they, and I think some of it had to do with how far out in the country they, they lived and where the church was located, but there was so much intimacy. I still have a wonderful relationship with them. Um, that, I mean, I, uh, we'll go, we, we go and visit them every once in a while and they are mom and dad. Um, and they've always been that, um, because they're just, that's, we, we go over there and she's like, all right, what do you want me to cook? You know, that, that's, I mean, that's what she does. She has, oh my gosh, the, the woman, not to go on another rabbit trail, but she ha- makes the most amazing sopapilla cheesecake um, you will ever eat in your entire life. So anyway. By the way, shout out to Dylan. You may be hearing her in the background, Christian and Stephanie just had a one month old and it's, it's just so awesome. Congratulations guys. Um, but uh, okay. So that's yeah, very, we, we've, we've all got, uh, you both have babies that are sleeping right now. I've got dogs that are barking and run all over the house and that's the world we live in right now. So sure is. we're cool. We're not, yeah, we're not looking for studio uh, uh, perfection here. We're just looking for uh, just uh, honest, real conversations. Sure. Yeah. So Christian, that's a really interesting and neat experience to be serving in a relatively smaller, more, you know, more intimate setting in that church contrasted with a mega church. Um, How would you contrast the two cultures and environment? Would you say one is more healthy than the other? Um, I I just would like to kind of go on that slight tangent. Yeah, no, I'm I'm actually glad you said that because I would, I would agree with that statement. Um, uh, I, 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 well, you didn't really go into specifics there, but I do think that a lot of times, um, and I think Stephanie and I would both agree, um, a lot of times we find that those smaller churches where you are able to have that intimate relationship with the pastor, where they're from a smaller town, um, yeah, you are able to have, um, you're, you're able to see their heart a lot easier. And I think that, that um, that's the neat part. And I think... Uh, I'm trying to find a good way to say this. You can see their heart in a way that is pure because it is, if that makes sense. Um, they're the small town. There's not an expectation for money. Their, their church has been fully paid for. They've had this building for years, all they're paying every month and all that their tithe is going to is the, is the bills. Uh, and, and so you see that, um, uh, uh and unfortunately, the reason that you see it is because of the contrasting, you know, mega church to small town church. Um, you know, you can see there's not a need for money. There's not an expectation for money. If they have to, I mean, and I remember even talking to them, there were times when the money was coming straight out of their work paycheck. And they were paying the bills for this place because it was so important to them that this church kept running because the town needed it. And the town so that they the, were so in. So did these small town pastors, did they have other jobs outside of being pastors? Yeah, they they had to. I mean, because, so, I mean, the pastor, uh, at least with a couple of churches, because we worked with, with, with I've worked with mega churches, I've worked with, with medium-sized churches or whatever you would call it, all the way down to small town churches. And so um, 
yeah, I mean, usually that was the case, um, especially with the small town churches. They all had some sort of secondary job um, that they were working. Um, either one, one of them that we worked with, um, he was um, waking up early in the morning uh, to uh, teach kids from across the world um, English. Um, and so he would get on. We, we, were, we were actually staying with him at one point um, because we were getting ready to go to camp with them. And so we were staying with them for a couple of days prior to, cause it was just easier for us to do it that way. And, um, we would, we would wake up at what, four or five in the morning. It was like three or four. Yeah. Like, like three or four in the morning and you could hear him in the other room. Going, Very good. Talking to these kids, essentially from this closet office that he had. Um, uh, it was just, yeah. So it was really interesting, but yeah, I mean, that was the case a lot of times where they were working some sort of secondary job where they were, um, they were, providing for their family in some or some sort of other way um, and usually never taking a paycheck for the volunteer work that they were doing with the church. Um, yeah, so, one of, so you got to see more of a pure expression of church management, more of an overflow of passion for the Lord, not so much as benefiting financially from the church, not, not which this podcast is not, you know, advocating for, uh, pastors not getting a paycheck or anything like that. I'm just drawing a contrast here of like the heart of somebody who is not taking a paycheck from a church versus a mega church, you know, where they're getting significant salaries at times. But yeah, yeah, keep yeah. going. And it was only because they had to. And that was, I think, the beauty of it. It was, it was unfortunately, and I think that's where the devil comes into play, truth be told. Um, I think he uses those opportunities because those smaller churches aren't making as much of an impact on a large community that there's not a need to attack them like there is a large church who is. Um, and so I think, I think, I mean, truth be told, just from what I've seen, I think that is one of the devil's tactics. I think that is something that he uses to connive. Um, and so you have these issues like what you dealt with, where you have maybe somebody who was pure hearted early on and, this is what they turn into um, because of the situation that they're in. The opportunity that they've been given, um, whether it's by God or not, is tainted by the devil. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I know what you're saying because when you start off with a church that has no money, and then let's just, let's just face it, in mega churches, there are... There, uh, I'm not sure if I'm uh, mandated by a non-disclosure agreement or not, so I'm not going to say anything. But I'll just say that there are large amounts of money that come in. I mean, just large amounts. And it's it, it then kind of, you know, you can say all the right things, but it's just got more of a business slash vision feel to it than it does a, than a people feel. Anyway, I'm not, I'm, I'm sorry. No, I, I, that's a great point too. And that's something I didn't even think about is, when you go to those smaller churches, there isn't a vision because their vision is set on the people and what they're doing. And it's set on God. And, and I didn't, I'm getting chills thinking about that. Cause I could, I didn't think about that. I never thought about that. That's a beautiful way to think about it, but there, but, but you're right. Unfortunately, um, there's, there's this expectation to have a vision because you're reaching this larger community and they want to know what you're about when you're in this smaller community. And these people have been coming for years there's no expectation for that anymore. There's not an expectation to, this is what we're about. They're coming to church because they get to see their friends. They're coming to church because they 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 know uh, Tom, Dick, and Harry, 
you know, every morning and, and, and they're, they're coming in to, to, to see all their friends, to sing a couple of songs and enjoy lunch together. I mean, that's what they did every single Sunday. They had lunch ready after service every Sunday. And yeah, at and least truth for this be told, And truth be told, like when you look in the New Testament, when I, when I read it again, we're not making a statement on yay or nay. This is my personal opinion. Um, when I look at the New Testament personally, I do not see a whole lot of ground or, or um, examples of mega churches in the New Testament. I see, I see people meeting in the homes and those homes multiplying and multiplying and multiplying. And I see um, people like Paul and Peter and all of them setting up these house churches to impact community through through that, not necessarily creating this big centralized mega church. And I, I feel like I feel like seeing a mega church in the New Testament is anachronism and porting our American idea of church into the New Testament instead of reading the New Testament for what it for what it is. But anyways, that's that's just my personal Well, I mean, except for that one time when Jesus fed five thousand people, but you know what Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's true. But I mean, yeah, no, I agree. Um and, and to to make a very long story short, um, it was just, it's always been pure when we go and visit them. I, I love, they are no longer the pastors of that church, and it's only because they were moving, I want to say for work at the time. I can't remember the specific situation. Uh, yeah, it was for work, actually. Not, I, yeah, it was for work, and uh, they ended up moving, and they're no longer the pastors of that church, but we still have a wonderful relationship with them. I get calls from them, and uh, I mean, it's just like, you 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 never skip a beat. Uh, it's like you're talking to them like you just spoke yesterday. Um, and, and it's just, it's so neat. Uh, there were times I was like, man, I wish I could just leave the church I'm at and just come here. You know, unfortunately I didn't have a job to, if I left, I didn't have a job to support my family. You know, so there was, it was like these moments where it was like, if God, if there was a way to do it, I would be here. You know, I would so much rather be here. Um, uh, you know, forget the, forget the opportunity for, for, networking. This is where I want to be. And uh, so, yeah, it was just really neat. And, and uh, even then, just the opportunity to be able to be with them. And uh, again, it was just the, the amount of peace that you felt when you were with them was, was amazing. Yeah. So this is a unique experience because this is the Spiritual Abuse Podcast. Um, but this is a really good opportunity to talk about spiritual health, it sounds. So before we get into times where you have experienced spiritual abuse and you've recovered from that, what about this particular church experience could you describe as like characteristics that made it spiritually healthy to kind of, because people listening to this, we're going to have many different people, either people who aren't identified as Christian, but a lot of people who have been spiritually abused, maybe jaded, maybe um, needing some hope that there are some good churches out there. So like, what could you say is an example of like, Hey, this is spiritual health. And I saw it in this small town church. Right. Um, you know, I think the, I heard somebody say at one time, and it was, and I'm so sorry you're hearing our, our dogs now barking in the background. Um, but uh, I think the, I, I had a, I had a friend tell me one time, and it was really kind of a friend that we were, he was kind of in the same position, was working for a, a pretty large church as a, as a youth minister uh, at a church in Florida. And we had met on a retreat actually, um, but anyway, one of the things that he says is when you're, because I asked him, I said, what do you look for when you're looking for a church? I said, because the thing that I struggle with is when I'm given an opportunity to try and find a job with a church, um, 
I'm like, okay, I don't care what's going on. I, if I, if, I mean, I have to make a paycheck somehow. And if I can make it doing what I love, I don't care what church or, you know, I don't care if it's four walls, you know, and three people standing in there. If I'm, you know, if I can provide for my family and know that God's got it taken care of, that's what I want to do. And I said, so what do you look for when you're looking for a church? And the first thing he said was, you look for some place that is spiritually healthy. And he didn't really give me an answer to that. I, I, I guess I kept, I, as far as what that meant, um, he just kind of left me with it. And I remember thinking, what does that mean? Because I had been in these positions for so long at this point in time. Um, so this is, cause this was later on. Um, I had been in this position so long where I was not in a healthy church lifestyle. And I, I didn't even know what that meant. I was like healthy. I mean, I had never even heard somebody use the word healthy in correspondence with the church. I didn't even know what that meant. Um, which looking back to me was like, that's just crazy, you know, because that, that's the main word you hear, you know. And so I remember going back home because we were in Florida at the time. I remember going back home and 90% of the plane ride was just spent going, what does that mean? And I remember talking with Stephanie and I said, we need to be looking for a healthy church. We need to be looking for a place that is going to help us grow. And I remember thinking back to those pure moments with uh, the pastor from the, the small town church that, that we were with. And I remember thinking about, and, it, and in fact, I, I say I remember thinking it was more a few months later we were at camp with them. And I had the opportunity to just sit down and talk. And he's asking me questions kind of like we are now where we're just sitting in the, you know, kind of in the round almost. And he's just asking me questions about me and just wants to know not about my, you know, my musicianship or, or uh, my ministry, but wants to know about me and who I am as a person. And it broke me down emotionally. And I remember we had this moment where we were sitting, um, they were doing, um, uh, what they called, what was it? They called it the hot seat. And it was this opportunity um, to um, uh, just essentially have a student um, sit in this chair in the middle of the room in front of all of their peers and I and, a, and the rest of the group of musicians that I had with me um, were playing very quietly. And um, essentially they put this, this student in the middle of the room and it wasn't forced um, it was, if you want to do this. And a lot of times it was led with a, a leader giving their story. Um, but these kids loved it. They ate it up. Um, and it was just this opportunity to sit in the middle of the room and say, this is how God's worked on me this week. And this is what I'm going to take home from camp. We, we would do it at the end of the end of the week. And you'd say, this is what, this is what I've learned. And, and it was the way these students responded to each other. They would after the person was done, it was this moment of clapping, and it wasn't even two seconds after they were done clapping, but they were around this student, all just hugging them. I mean, like, it was it was the coolest thing, and then they'd, they immediately right after would start praying for them. I mean, every student doing their own prayer, um, just, just praying, and it was just this pure, healthy, I mean, these students knew what healthy church looked like, and these kids are, you know, some of them barely, barely, teenagers and they are they are i mean they're they're their brother's keeper you know they're they're showing what what this healthy 
I don't even know how to say it. There's no words to express what, what happened. Um, See, that almost makes me cry because I, I, you know, I've experienced youth group stuff like that before. And it was just, just where you're real and honest and vulnerable. And you might not have the emotional maturity that we do now as adults, but it's so real and, and healthy. And then I remember the older I got and the deeper I got in, in church stuff, the less I felt the ability to do that because I couldn't, I didn't want to let people down. I didn't want to take my mask off. I didn't want to be real. I didn't want to be vulnerable because I didn't want to get corrected for not towing the line. And sometimes we go through stuff and I just didn't feel mm. that anymore. Mm. And, and I think that, and, and I'll get into this in a bit, but I think that was the difference between the church that we were attending and this church that we were, that we were supporting at church camp um, or the church that I was leading at, that I was being paid by and the church that I was leading at. I think that was the major difference. And I would totally agree with that. And like I said, I'll get into that in a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it, it was, it was just beautiful. The moment that, I mean, yeah, I remember sitting there and I'm like, I, yeah, there's just this moment of pure, pure, I don't even, I don't even know how else to explain, how else to explain it, but just pure joy where you're just like, I wish that I had these moments when I was a student. I, a student. I wish I had this opportunity to be able to, to express myself around my friends like this because I didn't, you know, because I grew up in, in, a, in a large church. Um, the truth be told, a, a, an unhealthy, you know, an unhealthy church. Um, and there was some spiritual abuse that happened there. But again, you know, we'll get back to that. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was just really neat. And, and so to answer your... <laughs> Again, to make a, a very, you know, a very long rabbit trail out of that, uh, to answer your question, Joseph, there's, I think that that, those were the moments that reminded me of what that really looked like. Those healthy moments where you can just visit, almost visibly see Jesus standing in the room. Um, uh, and just the, the amount of love, uh, you know, there was just these moments I remember seeing these students hug each other and, uh, uh, we actually, it was really, I'm going to, I'm going to explain, it was so neat. I didn't even think, I wasn't even going to talk about this, but it's really, it was really kind of neat. Um, I remember we had set up these little tea lights, you know, the little like uh, candle, candle lights, that they flicker because we didn't want to light like real candles in this, in this cabin. It was, uh, yeah, it was very old style cabin and any amount of fire inside the place would have probably lit the whole place up. But anyway, so we had these little like tea lights that we were using. And um, I remember uh, the students when they would come because we had put them around the chair that was in the middle. And um, when they would come into the circle, they would just start kicking them like crazy. The funny part was, is when they, the, the really crazy part to me was when they, at one point they had gone around, the, it was like the first or second student that had gone into the circle. They had all stepped away. And when they stepped away, the student was still sitting in the circle and the, the tea lights had made a heart, had formed a heart. I mean, I'm not even kidding, like a perfect heart shape around the student. It was the, cra just the, just the little thing. It was just the craziest thing I'd ever seen. And I remember looking down and being like, if that's not God, I don't know what is, you know? I mean, just the, and even if it wasn't, it was just the purity of the moment. Like you're just seeing the heart of Jesus and literally it's forming on the floor in front of you. You know, it, it was, it was just so neat to see just this pure, yeah, I don't even know how else to explain it. I'm just getting fired up thinking about it. It was just so amazingly pure and such a, yeah, such a healthy moment uh, with these with these kids who were really seeing Jesus show up in their own lives. So before I interject something into our, uh, to our listeners, I want to just make sure that I heard this right. So you felt a call to ministry at a camp that was 
run by this small town church. And some of your fondest, healthiest moments in church is in this same small church setting, right? So the that's kind of the, the really neat part. This this I felt the calling not with this specific church, with with uh uh so this so this church camp, to give you an idea, and I didn't explain this, this church camp was you have all of the different churches that come from all over the state. Um, if I said the name of the church camp, you would, you, you, there, I'm sure somebody who's listening would know. It was a very large church camp here in Oklahoma. Um, and what, ha- what would happen was is churches from all over the state and now all over the country come and they, they group together, but you're in a cabin with your church. So your church is, they're, they're with an organization um, that, that it's an eight-week camp, and so you only are there for one week, but you have, uh, you're there for one week with the church that you're with, and then another church comes in the next week, and so on and so forth for eight weeks during the summer. Um, and so I was with one specific church leading their in-cabin time when this moment was happening. Um, but the way that it worked is then at night we had these moments before, of course, our nightly meetings together as just a church. Um, we would all group together in a giant tabernacle building. They called it tabernacle. Um, tabernacle building um, together, the 5,000 people that were there. And that was where my calling happened. So to, to re-explain that a little better was within that large group meeting. And then of course, when you come back to your church that night, they, they give a praise report and you're like, Hey, you know, this person gave their life to ministry or whatever. So you have that moment where you're able to express that to your, to your peers. Um, and, and like, you know, I gave my life to, you know, gave my life to ministry yeah. or whatever. Um, but it was but a yeah. smaller moment within that conference. Exactly. With the church. Exactly. Wow. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, so just interject in our listeners, just, just a question, food for thought, not saying one way or the other. There's so much power in small settings. There's so much power in the one-on-one. There's so much power in the small church. Maybe our idea of kingdom impact has been tainted by the corporate America, Western idea of American capitalism as something that we can measure and quantify with metrics and data, whereas maybe spiritual success is in the power of the smallness of the mustard seed that we don't see the full in- impact until we, until the next life. Because as you can see in Christian and Stephanie's life, in Christian's life specifically, the thing that is helping him stay have a picture of spiritual health is what he experienced in a small setting, not the big setting, but the small setting. And I I think it's just important for us to think about the power of small and not necessarily over glorify the big and image. So um, just food for thought, not saying one one way or the other, but Christian. So that was a really awesome, healing, amazing discussion. Um, but like we said, this is the spiritual abuse podcast and there is power and healing and exposing things that we're doing. Oh, another thing I just want to say too, for our listeners out there, this is what the spiritual abuse podcast is all about. Like Eddie was saying before, we're not trying to tarnish Christianity or tear down organized religion. We want churches to be like that. We see and we see the church being able to perform like that. We see the we see the ability for churches to be healthy again, but we believe the only way churches can be healthy again is if we expose where they're missing it, to expose the spiritual malpractice and expose where the kingdom of darkness has infiltrated some of these areas. So when we put light on that, we can actually bring ourselves back to a healthy environment. So so Christian, in your story, when did you start look, uh, reflecting back, 
where, when did you start noticing spiritual abuse? Where were you at? Um, what church were you on staff volunteer? What does that look like for you? Yeah. So um, I'm actually kind of glad we went on that, that little bit of a tangent or that very long tangent, <laughs> um, because it really kind of, it really kind of helps the story. Um, but I was, um, I was, so I was actually in the midst of, um, I was helping these smaller churches um, and, and leading with them um, at the same time that I was working with, with this, uh, this mega church that I was at. Um, and when I say mega church, this church was probably about, oh goodness, 1500 people on a regular, uh, on a, on a regular Sunday. Um, I was leading at our smaller campus, which our smaller campus probably ran about 75 to a hundred people, um, on a regular Sunday. So, um, and that was where I was posted. That was my post. Um, I would, I would set up, uh, seven o'clock on Sunday morning. I say I would set up me and Stephanie would set Stephanie and I would set up, um, on Sunday morning, uh, from seven o'clock until 10 when our, or I'm sorry, from seven o'clock until nine, we had to set up the entire stage that included the drums, uh, uh, speakers. Uh, and when I say drums, that was an entire drum set up with a, with a cage. If you've ever lifted a drum cage, uh, on a Sunday morning, you know what I mean when I say those things are heavy, um, they weigh at least, they, they've got to weigh at least a hundred pounds. Hundred, I mean, yeah, they're, they're so stinking heavy. Um, 75 to hundred pounds. And so, yeah, so we were doing this every Sunday, put up and break down. Um, and so after church was over, after I was done leading, um, I was back in breaking down all of this. And if I had help on a Sunday, that was sporadic. Um, I may have help one day. I may not. Um, but anyways, that was... You? Uh, this this has only been a couple of years. This has probably been two two or three years ago now. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, in the last two to three years. Yeah, in the last two or three years or so um, is when we when I started doing that. And at that point in time, Stephanie wasn't helping. I w- I was by myself doing it. And were you on staff? Were you just volunteering? What were you? What were you? I doing? was on what staff. Was your... I was on staff, um, but I was part I was part time working 20 to 30 hours a week. Air quotes um, of part-time. <laughs> yeah, air quotes around part-time. I was part-time working 20 to 30 hours a week, which is just short of a full-time. Also working a part-time job. So I was essentially working, uh, and, and I was in, I think I was doing some schooling at that time too. So altogether, I was probably working, air quotes again, 60 to 70 hours a week, including my time at the church. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, I remember you saying that from your story. Yeah. And so, um, and then, and then trying to have a social life at the same time. And so most of my social life was, was happening anytime between nine and, and midnight, uh, you know, on a weekday, um, because my weekends were taken up with church. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, uh, yeah. And I was, I was not being paid for any of it. I was on again, air quotes, salary, um, but even then I was, I was only considered a, what did they call it? It was a, a contract employee. Cause that was the tax term for it. I was a contracted employee. Um, just to be very blatantly honest, I was making $200 a week. Um, or no, was it, yeah, was it, it was $200? $200 a week to work 30 hours, um, in the church. Um, and you didn't have any benefits or anything, right? Oh no, God no! I was I was contracted. Yeah, no, they they contract employees based on tax forms state that you don't have to give them, uh, you don't have to give them any benefits. And so the whole idea, and I had spoken with the worship pastor at that point in time, was that sooner or later I would be full time. Uh, when they needed when they needed it, I would be full time at some point in the near future, hopefully. 
And again, well, that's, it was all that's just, a characteristic. So that's a characteristic of not just churches, but business um, where they have contractors and your contractors aren't there for the job they have now. They're there for the job that they will eventually have to be full time with benefits and all that stuff. But a lot of times contractors are doing just as much work as like a regular paid employee. But um, like you said, there's a tax they're they're getting paid for a fraction of it. And it just it just just as a side note, it just makes my heart heavy that we've taken that concept that I just don't agree with in a business setting and we've brought that into the church even more like that. That just boggles my mind because all that does, if you're gonna be completely honest, is allows you to get um, allows you to get the same level of labor in most cases for a fraction of the cost, like you said, Christian. And it's, it's, um, it's just not right in my opinion, but yeah, keep going, keep going. Yeah. I mean, it, it, and you're right. It was just one of those things. It was, it, it broke me down after a while for, for sure. Um, but anyway, I was, I was, uh, I was volunteering with these small churches because that was where I was getting most of my spiritual life, uh, was working with these churches over the summer. And I mean, I, that was, I told them, I would, I'd tell them all the time, I'm going to be gone the Sunday that I have to go to church camp because this is important to me. Um, and so that when I was, when I was working at the church, I told them for the, I mean, for, for, they knew when it comes first week of first week of the summer, cause that was when I went, uh, Christian's not going to be there that Sunday because I was, I was with them leading all week. And 90% of the time after that week, I was, my voice was gone anyway. So if I could lead was, was, was a, uh, uh, uh was all circumstantial based on whether or not I came back with a voice and 90% of the time I never did. Um, and, uh, because, so it was just one of those things that was like, they knew when I, when I, when it came summertime that I was, that I was not going to be there for the first couple of weeks. Um, and, uh, so I was working with those churches. Um, and, th- and I, at one point, uh, during the summer, I was probably at this church camp for three or four weeks of the summer. Um, and again, most half the time it was no pay. Some of these churches would pay me to be there, which was great because it was like I was getting paid more to be there with them to do more work. But really, it, to me, it wasn't work. You know, I'm I'm there hanging out with the kids, having fun. You know, being being a child again, being a kid, uh, and getting to lead worship. I mean, it was just that that was a dream. You know, so it was uh, I was getting paid more to be there with them. Um, which was which was the beauty of it, and even if I wasn't getting paid, it was still just again like we were saying a beautiful pure moment. So, um, like I said, at the most I was working three or four weeks out of the summer doing that, and then sometimes coming back home if if they needed me at the church, working again uh, on the Sunday. So I may have no voice and be trying to lead worship. Um, and uh, so there was just a, a lot of times where I was just I would come home, and 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 about a year into me being there is when Stephanie and I started dating. Um, so this would have been what 2017, 20 mid 2017. Yeah. Yeah. Mid 2017. Fall. Yeah. Yeah. About fall 2017. And so I just remember, because this was about the time that I was coming out of, of, uh, of summer, and um, I just remember being exhausted, just tired, and um, the the wonderful part about it was my direct report that I had at the mega church that I was at. Uh, was so supportive. He was fantastic. My direct report was amazing. Um, I could have never asked for a better campus pastor. He was my direct report was our campus pastor. Um, he was just absolutely amazing. Always very supportive. He had that small town uh, church, uh, small town church pastor. Um, he was just always in that headspace of a small town church pastor, to for lack of better terms. Um, 
And uh, so it was always awesome because he would always do everything he could to make sure if I needed a week off, he had somebody in there. And even if he couldn't, he was always like super apologetic. He's like, I'm so sorry. I can't find anybody. I'm going to have to have you there. You know, I mean, it was just super, but he would do everything he could to be supportive that week. He was jumping in, helping where he could, made sure I had to do the least amount of work if I needed that. Um, and so it was, it was nice to have him because he was always very supportive. And even um, he was actually uh, uh, very supportive within me and Stephanie's relationship. Um, and so we just had a very, very healthy relationship with him while we were there. Um, and so it was really nice to have that. And um, yeah, so I keep getting off track here, but um, was working with these churches, was working with this, with this mega church. And uh, about a year into that, about the time me and Stephanie started dating, this mega church um, had asked me to start working with their youth. Um, which I was, again, super excited for because that was where really my heart was, especially with church camp. It was like, this is great. This is church camp 24-7, you know, because I'm like, I get to I get to do this all the time now because I'm doing music on Sundays and then music on Wednesdays. So I was, I mean, I was in the pocket. They were paying me a little bit extra to, uh, yeah, paying me $50 extra, which at that point in time was was great. Um, I was just taking, oh, yeah, it was great. I mean, yeah, it was, it was you know, and again, that they were more specific on what the expectations were for that. So I had to actually, uh, I had to be doing certain things in order to get that money. Um, if I wasn't there that week, then I didn't get that money. Even if I did all the prep work, I, I, if I wasn't there that week, that was the kicker. I wasn't getting that pay if I wasn't there that week. Um, so, and prep work just meaning I was, I was making tracks, any of our backing tracks, um, uh, making sure that the band was all, all staffed. Um, so if I didn't have another worship leader to step in, and I wasn't there, then there was nobody leading. Um, so luckily, again, I had to su- some support from from other worship leaders that we had there on staff. Um, but again, same thing for them. They weren't barely getting paid uh, for what they were doing. So uh, they asked me to start leading that, um, and I was there for about a year and a half doing that. Um, and in the process of doing that, uh, I'm, I'm a people person when it comes to people put me in the middle of a crowd of people and I'm going to, I'm going to high five and shake every hand I possibly can. Um, that I just, I, and I want to know every story I can possibly hear. I'm going to try to learn every name I possibly can. I just, I love that. That's the, I mean, I feel like that's the beauty of, of working in ministry is you have this opportunity to, to, when you step off the stage, there's this opportunity now that people know who you are to get to know them. And, and they're going to walk up to you because Oh, you know, I'd hear it all the time. That was, I love that song you did this morning or whatever. I really appreciate that. And and then of course that conversation just opens up at that point, you know? And so there were just so many opportunities like that. And and I love that, especially with the kids, you know, you'd play the songs that they liked. They're like, I love that song. That song's great, you know, or whatever. And so you just had this opportunity to be like, Hey man, that's awesome. I'm glad you like the song. I'll make sure we, you know, and I'd already have it planned out. I'm like, we'll play it next week for you again, you know, or whatever. And so uh, it was just really neat because the students always, you know, they're, they're more high energy, you know, and so you just have this opportunity with them. But we got involved. Uh, I actually had a student whose, uh, whose uh, mom was, uh, was one of the volunteers, and I had formed a relationship with her because Stephanie was volunteering in her small group with her kids. So they would have our big group meeting, and then afterward the kids would go into their small groups, and they would do their small group meeting with their age group of kids. And they would actually go from essentially sixth grade all the way up through high school with the same group of kids. And that's what they, they would do with their small groups. 
So she had formed a relationship with Stephanie because Stephanie was one of the small group leaders. Uh, she had she had uh, she had come to me and asked me to be a small group. Leader. Yeah, she had asked Stephanie to be a small group leader, and so Stephanie jumped in on well, the process. I ended up forming a really good relationship with her son, who was uh, what fifteen at the time, almost sixteen. Yeah, because he was getting ready to start driving, um, and uh, he uh, we just hit it off. He was one of my one of my students in our student band, and so we just really hit it off. Hit you know had. Had, uh, had formed a really good relationship. And Stephanie had formed a really good relationship with them too. You know, we were always making sure if we were ever, because um, there were times when we would even go and, and he would want to hang out. And I'm like, well, you know, as, as you know, because of church rules and because of, you know, my own expectations for my own life, I don't really want to put myself in, and, you know, what the world sees, uh, you know, in the church going on at that point in time. There was just a lot of, uh, uh, you know, um, sexual harassment stuff going on uh, with a lot of these larger churches at the time. I didn't want to put myself in a position where I was vulnerable for him to even attempt to say something. Not that he would, but, you know, you just have to be careful. Uh, Eddie, you probably know this uh, a, a, a little better than than uh, than even Joseph or I, but you just have to be careful when you're putting yourself in a position one-on-one with a student. Really, you can't do it at all. Um, and sure. so, And I knew that. We had... We had all sorts of policies in place, and that's smart for a church to have policies in place where a man was never counseling a woman alone. That's smart. That's wisdom. Uh, uh, and you're not alone with a child. That's smart. That's wisdom. Those are those are important things, especially right. in today's day and age. Yeah, exactly. I think you said it better than I could have. Um, yeah, there's there was just these policies that were expected from the church, but not only personally, because I knew, you know, I need to be careful for the sake of my own personal ministry. Um, outside of the church, you know, I don't want to mess up my opportunity in the future to be able to do this um, and do what God's called me to do. Um, and so anyway, I would always make sure that Stephanie was with me. We were dating at that point in time. Granted, I'm if I had the choice... Actually, we weren't dating at that time. We were just friends. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we were just friends at that point in time and later ended up dating. Um, had it been a different situation, I might have, I, I might have wanted it a little bit different. Um, but I mean, I, we trusted each other, right? We knew each other at that point well enough. We had already had plans to, we were already talking about dating and I had already brought up marriage at one point in time and Stephanie was on board. And so it was kind of one of those things that we had put a lot of trust in each other that I wasn't worried about, you know, if, if, uh, you know, I wasn't worried about her as a, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, uh, as somebody who would, um, Cannot think of the word now. The confidant. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just somebody who you you know you could you you could have there that would if anything were to come out and the student said he did this to me, oh, that as a person witness. could yes, that person could come back and say uh, no, that did not happen. Um, and and at least you're just respecting those those barriers. And so um, we were always trying to make sure that was happening. Um, and so anyway, we would we would hang out with the student, and then the student of course had expressed interest in. One of our other students, he didn't really express interest, but you could tell there was some, he had some, yeah, they were, they were flirting. Um, And so uh, in order to allow them to be able to hang out together in a, and and show them what a healthy relationship looked like, because at this point me and Stephanie were, were dating down the road um, to show them kind of what a healthy relationship looked like. We wanted to be there with them. And so we would, we would go and uh, we, did we take them to lunch? At one point, yeah, she was in a very bad relationship. The girl that that was that was her boyfriend yeah. wasn't going to church. She was really trying to get him to come to church. Um, her parents weren't um, 
met both of them, very sweet parents, but they weren't together. They weren't um, the type of, like, godly marriage influence that she needed. So we were trying to help not be the influence for her, but just help point her in the right direction. So we kind of took her on, and him as well, to just kind of, like, help show them, like, there are good influences out there. You just have to find them. Right. And, and right. mind you, the reason that these two students knew each other, obviously they're in the same youth group, but this was still a pretty large youth group, about 150 kids. And um, the reason that they knew each other was because this this girl was in uh, small. Stephanie's small group. So she knew her, and of course then she would hang out with Stephanie, and he would hang out with me, and then of course they, you know, he had expressed, you know, that was when they started kind of matching up, and, and you could tell there were, like I said, there was some flirtatiousness in there. Um, and there wasn't like the, the church, I think, uh, kind of different from the expectation of, of the church that you guys were at was there wasn't an expectation. They, they were allowed to date and they were kind of it kind of felt like encouraged to not date each other, but they were encouraged to have healthy relationships is, is what I'm trying to say. They really did a good job of saying, if you're going to date, not that you have to, but if you're going to date, this is what a healthy relationship looks like, at least from the podium. Now, on the backside, that was different. And that's kind of where it, it, it went south for us. So we were, of course, like I said, we're hearing what we're hearing from the, from the podium. You know, these, we need to be teaching these kids what good relationships look like. Here's what A, B, and C, this is what it looks like to have a healthy relationship and keep Jesus in the center. You know, there was always that, you know, you know make Is this coming Jesus. from a senior pastor? This is coming from pastor? a youth pastor who is very, uh, uh, yeah, very much direction. The, the direction is coming directly from the senior pastor. Um, Got it. Okay. Uh, his his kids are involved in the youth group, so he's if he has you know control over the ah. direction of where it's going to go. Of course, he's going to you know. I mean, I'd be in meetings, you know, directional meetings with the senior pastor, the youth pastor, and then the worship pastors that we're leading, you know, on Wednesday nights. And so there was a lot of pull from him, and that's that's where a lot of our the a lot of it takes off because him and the youth pastor were very close, had been leading in this church for, oh goodness, 20, well, 20 plus years. Before that. They were friends. Yeah. They were friends before they started leading at the church. Um, it was just, they, yeah, it, they were very close. And I think, I don't know the whole story, but I'm sure one of, I think one of them got hired on. Yeah. The youth pastor was the, that this is where it gets really weird. The youth pastor at the time was the uh, son-in-law of the lead pastor and the lead pastor ended up, they, they laid him off. Something had happened. He was laid off. And this new lead pastor that was brought in was the youth pastor's like best buddy. And so they were really, really close. Um, something like that. Right. I can't remember the whole so thing. So he got hired back. He got hired back. So no, no, no. He, the, the, the lead pastor was never hired back. In fact, uh, oh, a lot the of the lead church pastor up, was, was let go. Yeah, he was let go, and this new guy was was buddy buddy with the, the youth pastor. the youth pastor. The new senior pastor okay. was buddy buddy with the youth pastor. Um, Got it. So, and the youth pastor is still at the church, even though his father in law has been laid off, um, and he's still there currently. Um, and him and his wife still lead the youth. Uh, you don't see his wife a whole lot, but anyway, um, that's another another story, another 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 rabbit trail. Um, anyway, all that said. Um, he uh, he came to me one day um, during a meeting. Had pulled, he had, being he, the youth he, he being the youth pastor. Excuse me. Had Got pulled it. me aside okay. 
um, during a meeting um, and was and telling you're on me, staff at this point, right? Exactly. As yes. a worship pastor? As a worship pastor at the campus that I'm leading at and a worship pastor with the youth. Got it. Okay. So, um, and he pulls me aside and says, hey, as far as the situation with the student that you've been, which again, and I didn't say this, the mother of this student who was friends with Stephanie in their small group, um, she had asked me to mentor her son, wanted me to be there for him. He respected me. He liked coming to me. We had kind of, you know, I would like to say become pretty good friends, um, you know, friends in quotations. And um, because you have to keep that distance. But anyway, um, so I had, he come to me and he had said that the relationship that I had with that student um, essentially was, uh, I don't even want to say essentially, what were his words? He was saying that me hanging out with him, with Stephanie, was inappropriate. And and I kind of, I kind of, I was like, okay, I, I can understand where you're coming from. You know, Stephanie's a girl, maybe having another guy leader there would be better. You know, so I kind of understood that. And uh, then his next words were, and Stephanie, uh, Stephanie hanging out, because again, we had the, the boy student and the girl student. Stephanie hanging out with her is inappropriate as well, even if you're there. And I said, well, and I explained to him, I said, look, we're just trying to show them what a good godly relationship looks like. You know, Stephanie is my account- accountability partner. That's the word I was looking for earlier. Stephanie's my accountability, you know, so we're, we're there trying to do that, you know, trying to be accountable. And, um, uh, you know, so I, 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 I get where you're coming from, but is that, you know, I'm just asking the question, is that not, you know, is that not good enough? And essentially, I mean, he didn't even say, I don't want to say essentially, he, he said, no, that's not good enough. Well, you guys. He went to you to yeah. talk about me. He did not come to me and tell me I was an issue. I did not know until you. Yeah. She, Stephanie oh, wasn't even wow. in the meeting. He, he came to me and said, this needs to stop. You can't hang out with them one-on-one because it, what the, the term he used was because it looks like a double date. And I said, okay. I, and again, I'm trying to be understanding and I'm saying, I, I can understand where you're coming from. That makes, and it made sense. You know, I can see where that would look like that. And again, the, the whole, a lot of the church, the way this church was run is it was, it's not what it is. It's what it looks like. Um, so even if it is what it is, and I'm sure you've heard that. Yeah. Um, even though it's not what it is, it's what it looks like, and you have to be careful of that. And so I understood that, and I was trying to, again, you know, be respectful of the policy that the church was putting on me now, uh, even if it was just directed specifically toward me. Um, I understood, and so I was like, okay, you know, I can get that. And so I had actually started inviting one of our other uh, band members, who was a, an adult leader, to hang out with us. Um, a, male. A, a male, yeah, a male adult leader to hang out with us. And, and even he had expressed, that's fine. As long as you've got two male leaders and a, and a male student, that's fine. You guys can hang out, do whatever you want. And I was like, okay, you know, again, I can, I, that, that makes sense. Um, and, and then again, this is where it kind of, all of a sudden the story changed. The story changed. I, I was of course following all these people of the, following the youth pastor on Instagram, following the youth group on Instagram you know, again, trying to do that social networking because I was doing some of that for the youth group as well. Well, pause. We were told, Christian and I explicitly were told. Oh, yeah. We cannot hold hands like during prayer. We were dating. We this was, hold hands. This, mind you, this was during that same meeting um, about the student, about being with the student one-on-one or being with the student with Stephanie and I. Um This was the same meeting. We were told we couldn't hold hands. I was told. Yeah, Christian was told. Um, 
he could not give me even a side hug at church. My love language is physical touch. So if I'm having a bad day and the first time I see Christian is after I get off work and go to church, I'm going to want to hug and he can't even hug me because it's a rule apparently. So we were basically told that it doesn't matter what my love language is because it's inappropriate. And so we tried to express our concerns like, well, look, like our end goal is marriage. It's not like we're just showing these students like whatever. We're trying to show them a healthy yeah. relationship, a we're, healthy. We're being serious. We're yeah. not just joking around. This is real for us. And they told Christian, their words were, well, it doesn't matter because there are married couples in the church that you wouldn't even know they were married. And we want to keep it that way. What? That was the word. And there so, are married couples in the church that you would never know were married and we want to keep it that way. Christian came to me. Yeah, he came to me and he told me that. And I said, Christian, that doesn't make any sense because where is your accountability? If somebody, if Christian and I were married and some, and some woman in the church walked up to Christian thought he was attractive, but didn't know we were married because, you know, that's how we want to keep it. Um, and then starts to make a move on Christian. That, I mean, that's like a temptation, you know? Like, that. there's no accountability in that. There's no, it's not safe. You're not protecting the leaders. You're not, it's just not smart. And so they were telling so us. So where does that, co where does that come from? I, I, I honestly couldn't tell you. Because then I'm watching these students come into... I'm watching these students walk in, you know, to the sanctuary and they're holding hands and hugging. We had two students that you could see they were visibly dating. And, and they were, I, were I, I will tell you, they were very good to, to have a healthy Christian relationship. We're even, I even still uh, see them on social media sometimes and they really do have a healthy, good relationship. They've been dating for several years now um, and, and really do have a healthy relationship. But I honestly couldn't tell you where that was coming from. Only thing I could think was because even, even in conversations later with the lead pastor is he came back to me. Or he didn't come back to me. I could see that those rules were being put off on the youth pastor because they were things I was hearing come out of the pastor's mouth um, passive-aggressively to me. Mind you, on a mission trip to Mexico, we saw the senior pastor and his wife kissing right in front of the students, which was fine, I don't care, but we were just told not to do that exact same thing. And it wasn't like a kiss, like this was a good two or three second kiss. I mean, like this was a good long like <laughs> kiss. And, and they would, yeah, I think, yeah, yeah, I mean, there were, they, they yeah. would, they would joke and he would walk past her and tickle her and like, you know, mess with her sure when there was some butt I'm, I was going to say, I couldn't remember, but I was going to say, I'm pretty sure I saw butt smack. Um, but I wasn't even going to say it cause I couldn't remember. So but, the fact that you said but it, you couldn't, it. but you couldn't show any affection. No, even hold because, because, because we were dating and, and, uh, you know, we don't, we're, that's different than marriage. And that was another thing that was expressed was because you're dating, it's not marriage. And that's not, uh, you, you can't, and, and, and again, granted, I understand that. But we had expressed to them and had been forward with them, look, me and Stephanie are dating. We want you to know me and Stephanie are dating just for the sake of the situation. I work here. She's volunteering. Just so you know, trying to respect your policies, your professional business policies, that this is what's going on. I'm dating a congregational member of the church. 
And, uh, and they were fine with that. But again, then all of a sudden, if there was any sort of like affection shown, whether that was just a, and I'm, and I'm showing, I'm showing Joseph and Eddie this, but a side hug, you know, or even just a, a, a friend, uh, you know, even just a, a, a hand touch or anything, I couldn't do, we couldn't do that. We were told we could not do that because that is showing affection. But then I'm watching these students who are just friends hug each other. I'm like, okay, well then something just wasn't adding up. Something wasn't adding up. And so again, so do you, do you think it was, I'm just speculating. I mean, just one of two reasons. One, it's a, a control issue or B it's, they don't want their son who's in the youth group to, to see something. And I, just makes me think um, it, it seems a little complicated. I think, well, and, and we found out some stuff later about their son. Uh, he, I, I think they knew that he was having issues. Uh, there was some inappropriate Instagram profiles found on his profile that he was following. Um, yeah. I Not only that, but inappropriate pictures taken with, with females that we found. Got it. And so I think they were trying to encourage him not to do that at the same time. It was, it wasn't, we were encouraging that on, in the youth group, but then on a missions trip, those rules don't apply for married couples and we can, we can smack butts and, and kiss and, and all sorts of stuff, you know, outside of that. And so it was just, it was just a lot of this back and forth. And again, a very long tangent, but it was just a lot of this back and forth of being told one thing and then seeing something else. And the mission, and, and this is where it got really crazy. They actually, when they have, so the way that this church was set up, you had your lead pastor, and then you had your executive pastor. Um, and your lead pastor was your pastor that preached on Sunday mornings. And your executive pastor was the pastor essentially running everything behind the scenes. The executive pastor was the pastor that was, um, that was the issue, that we were having the issues with, where he was giving direction to the youth pastor because they were buddy-buddy. And they ended up hiring another lead pastor later on, um, about a about six months after I had been hired. Um, and great guy, great guy, fantastic. Messages were wonderful. Again, really a great hire for the church. They really needed a good pastor. The problem that we kept seeing is when they started to form a vision for the church um, or a new vision for the church, the vision was love Jesus, love like Jesus. Love Jesus, period. Love like Jesus, period. That was their mission. And it was this idea that we, that we if we love Jesus, that it is very easy to love like Jesus. And, um, and we can show that to, we, we can show that love to anybody, you know, across the area that we're, that we're, you know, that we're located in. Um, and so, which I was like, we, me and Stephanie were like, when he came in, we both were talking about it, had a long conversation about, we, we love that. That's a beautiful mission. Loving Jesus and that loving sounds, like that Jesus. That sounds Innocent enough, you know? Yeah, I mean, what a beautiful mission, you know, showing people what the love of Jesus looks like and so they can go, there's something different about them and I want to know what it is. And we loved that. I mean, we we ate that up. It was just this idea of just this simplistic loving Jesus and showing people what the love of Jesus looks like. Well, and if you love Jesus, you don't have to try to love other people. Mm -hmm. At least not as hard as if you don't love Jesus. You know, if you really truly have Jesus in your heart, that shows in your everyday actions, you know, yeah. you, you live your life a different way. Yeah. If, if step one, you know, if step two fails, refer back to step one, you know, it, yeah. and that's kind of the way it was. And I think that was the beauty of it. I think that was the idea it was, it was this simplistic, very, again, pure idea of what is a good relationship with Jesus looks like, look like, and how can we show people 
in our in our you know in our community. And, it's funny and, when you said that when you said that love Jesus and love like Jesus. I was like, okay, now the, what? Wait, there's wait, there, there's nothing wrong with it. That's yeah, actually really yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it it really was a beautiful mission, and we loved it. Again, part of the reason that we kept staying was because we were so confused by what we were seeing behind the scenes, and then what we were seeing on the front lines. And, uh, that's, and that's a very kind of important where, thing. Yeah. Yeah, and that's kind of where it was, especially when you're working on staff there, it was so different. And we were seeing two totally opposite. It's like there was, you were seeing black and white, and we just kept trying to find the gray area, and there was none. So describe that. Describe that tension of what was preached from the pulpit, the vision statement, everything that looks good externally to someone who's like a first time or not. Because one thing that we noticed in our church, especially Eddie, um, and this is the thing that I shared with with my pastor at the time was like, from the outside, when you start going to the church that we were going to, I, I was I was just showered with love and encouragement. But the closer I got to the to the center, the core culture, the closer I got to leadership, the more that I got promoted. Air quotes that I saw that encouragement get replaced more and more with criticism to get me to conform more and more and more. So how would you describe in your instance in this church that tension or the, or the disconnect between the core culture and the culture that they're trying to create for the congregation? Yeah, and that's, that's kind of where, that's kind of where the, the question we were asking is what does that mean for us? You know, where, where are we at and how, how do we respond as worship leaders for our campus to that mission? Because we loved it. I mean, like I said, we ate it up. I mean, it was just like this is a beautiful mission. And we kind of felt like things may have be getting back to normal. You know, maybe things are going in a good direction now. We're, we're good. Um, but there was just, again, this dynamic that we kept seeing of there's a lot of things going on behind the scenes that don't match up with that. And so when I say that, what it, what it looked like a lot of times was, is there was, and I want to make sure I say this right, there was this beautiful mission. But what we kept seeing was, as it was being preached from the pulpit, we need to go out and show people what Jesus looks like. But then we were always worried about what was, we were always more focused on what was going on on the inside of the church, if that makes sense. Am I saying that right? Yeah. It was almost like, let's go out and, well, okay, so... Maybe I'm kind of confused, but we always felt like, at least from our discussions while we were there, like our our vision was love Jesus, love like Jesus, but we were only loving the people outside of the church the way Jesus would love them. The people inside of the church, the people inside of the church didn't matter, but if you're not getting fed anywhere, then... How are you going to go out and love somebody? Exactly. If I feel spiritually empty, I have nothing to give. Yeah, and and I could not remember the 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 words that we used for that. That's exactly what it was. It's you were we were seeing this beautiful mission, and we were wanting to give it to the community, but then we're completely forgetting everybody on the inside. And and you could see that in the health of the church. We would have people come in. I mean, I, I don't know how many times I saw new members or new people, new visitors come in the the church, and they'd be there for one service, two services, and they were gone, and we never see them again. The people that we had at our secondary campus, the one that I was leading at, were the people that were coming consistently on a regular basis. We didn't have new members come in. We didn't have new people come in, other than when they were added to the staff, you know, myself. 
Um, and, and so you didn't see, you didn't see that a lot. You didn't have these, these new members coming in because the problem was going on on the inside of the church. And we were more focused about going out instead of what was, it's the whole, how can you, what's the verse? How can you pull a speck from your friend's eye when you've got a log in your own? How can you help pull a speck out of your friend's eye when you've got a log in your own? We've got this giant log of all these things that are going on. We've got we, we, we don't have any regulations as far as what relationships and what good, healthy marriages look like in our church. And we're expecting our, our members not to show affection to each other. But then I can, the lead pastor can smack his wife's butt and they can make out in front of students. And that's okay because they're married and they're the lead pastors. Well, and even then we were told, um, I had some questions and this t- kind of ties in later, but I had had some questions um, regarding my role as Christian's significant other, we were not married at this point. Were we engaged? I think we were engaged. At yeah, point. we had been engaged, and I had some role, some questions about what my role was because I was being told no, 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 no. I was having my hand smacked, but giving nothing to to fix the issue. Like there was no, don't do that, do this instead. I just was told no stop and left at that and so I had some questions and they had told us no like male female one-on-one like I couldn't go to a male leader and have a private meeting with a male leader so when I asked these questions they told me well you need to talk to this woman this woman or this woman well one of those women's women's one of those women and I didn't get along like, she just always made me feel like I was less than her, and so I just stayed away from her. Mind you, this woman is the lead pastor's wife. Yes. <laughs> or not the lead pastor's wife, the, the executive pastor's, pastor's wife. So I just stayed away from her because I it made me uncomfortable. I didn't want to feel like I wasn't, like, important. Like, I mean, I felt like my job to help Christian was important, and so she just made me feel less than her, and I didn't like that, so I just stayed away. And the other two women, I did not know at all. So I said, you know what? Forget it. I'm not going to ask these questions. I'm just going to have to figure it out on my own. If, I, if the church can't help me, then I don't know where I'm going to get these answers, but I'm just going to figure it out on my own. And later in our time there, I had some quest- some more questions about something else that had happened with me and Christian, and they sat me down with the youth pastor one-on-one by ourselves, male and female, and corrected me and told me what I needed to do after they had just told me I was not allowed to speak with a male, I had to talk with a woman. Hmm. It, and this was this was just again one of many. We're probably not even hitting the tip of the iceberg with with this was just the the small amount of psychological stuff that was going on that we were dealing with. Um, so did it was, make you feel crazy? Yes. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Yeah, we were nuts. We were nuts, and everybody else <laughs> everybody else looked at us like we had three heads. I mean, we were, it was just, you were, yeah. I mean, even when we would go to, we, even when we would go to like a, uh, the main campus, uh, because I was leading at the secondary campus, even when we would go to the main campus, it was like, people would just look at us like, what are you doing here? You know? And, and it was just awkward. It was awkward. It was weird. I could not even hold my, my fiance's hand. And I'm like, what, why? I can't even express, this is my fiance. This is the person that I'm going to marry, you know? Yeah, I mean, we feel like God has called us and, to be together, and we can't even express that. Yeah, her, her expression, her love, her love language is touch, 
my love language is uh, words of affirmation. So truth be told, some of words of affirmation comes from me affirming the fact that she is my fiance and you can't have her. And, And so... I can't even, she can't express her love language, nor can I express the fact that this is my fiance. And it was just, especially when you're being taught, these are the, these are the love languages. And I remember we had a message specifically on what the love languages were and how they need to be expressed in a healthy and positive way. And again, being told this from the front lines and then going back and being told we can't even touch. And I'm like, am I nuts? Is something, what what is going on? My story, yeah, my disconnect was being told that I'm, I haven't, uh, being told by the head guy that I haven't lost my temper in 30 years and then getting 35 corrective messages with a very stern tone. And I'm like, okay, wh- I, wh-, and then I'm, I, th- then all I'm doing is questioning myself. Yeah. What am I doing wrong? Wh- where did I come up short? Am I missing this? Am I crazy? What the heck is going on here? So, yeah, I mean, and that's kind of that's kind of what happened is, is we started asking those questions, and I finally just I took to social media, and and uh, and and I did it in a correct and not in a corrective way, but in a way that was asking a productive question, of just saying, how would you handle this? And I actually had several groups that I was in that were closed Facebook groups that I'm still currently in, um, that are for people in ministry that are struggling with these kind of things, which might even be a great resource for. Uh, for your guys' podcast because it, it wait wait, it's, wait wait hold on so this culture got so bad for you that you actually found a Facebook group as like a refuge outside source for people <laughs> oh yeah yeah struggling in no ministry. exactly so so I want to nail down on this just a little bit um, before we move on to like the other churches and all that you've been a part of it it almost feels like this culture at this church because you guys were there for for a little bit, for a while. It just seems like it was one thing after another. It's not necessarily, you can correct me if I'm wrong, one dramatic event where they were just like um, emasculating you and like traumatizing you. But it's almost like this over time psychological abuse just piling up and piling up and piling up to where you just, you know, you question yourself, you question your relationship, you question everything and you're just going crazy because of the inconsistencies between what is preached from the pulpit and the expectations for you. Um, that that's for you. You told me in a text, um, when we were talking about this, that, um, a common thread in your story is the, uh, an obsession with image. How did that obsession with image play out in this church specifically? Yeah. So, um, what, yeah, no, you, and you hit the nail on the head. That was just, let's take a chisel and chisel a little bit here and then chisel a little bit here and chisel a little bit here. And we're going to, I mean, it was the same thing that you guys were both explaining in your stories. We're going to chisel this person away to the point that they look and act exactly how we want them to act. You speak the language, you say what we want you to say, you do what we want you to do. You can be a part of our church. Great. We love you. Come on in. Yeah. Now that we've created who you are, who you are as a person, then now you're welcome here. Yeah. Let's, let's just take you, we're going to, we're going to form you from a, from a giant block and make you look like the, you know, the statue of David or whatever, you know? So it was just this, like, it was, let's make you look the way we want you to look It very much. When you were saying that in, in both of yours, I'm like, this is exactly what we dealt with. And um, it took away your ability to love fully, not in sin, but just love because, because they were afraid of you sinning. It's not that you were sinning. They were afraid of you sinning. 
and, and we couldn't have or relationships like with other saying. people. Yeah, yeah, we couldn't have relationships with other people because we were so concerned with what was going on inside of ourselves that even the thought of having a relationship within a small group, within anything, was God-forsaken at that point. Um, I mean, we, we, we stayed away from our young adults group because we didn't feel like we, in that moment, deserved to even be around them. We felt crazy to the point that we started backing out of everything that you're supposed to go to. I mean, small groups, church services. I mean, if we didn't have to be there, we weren't there. Yeah, we, we didn't want to be there. When we first started dating, the church would do like movie nights and all this stuff. And I was like, Christian, let's go, let's go, let's go. And we would go. And then things just started getting so bad for us. We were like, I don't even want to see those people. I don't. It was just like, if we go, there's another opportunity for them to tell us how Yeah, for them to nitpick are. us, yeah. And oh, we don't want gosh. to be around that. What either either explicitly or just through feeling their judgment? You felt like you felt like you were being like there was a camera on you at all times. Oh, you felt like you were a, constantly being looked it. at. You had to. You couldn't even watch the movie. I can't honestly. I don't know what movie. Was tell like. you what movie you we were, watched. You were that afraid day. of how you were interacting in the movie, right? Yeah, <laughs> it, yeah, exactly. It was like if we didn't react the right way to what was going on, then oh God forbid, you know. And it and it was just this kind of culture that they were maintaining of again just being chiseled away to the point that there was almost nothing left. And you just got to this place. I remember when we were finally done, there was a conversation between me and Stephanie. I'm like, I remember bawling my eyes out saying, what did I do that was so wrong? What? Mm. I loved this job. The pastor that I was under was fantastic and was still encouraging throughout this whole thing. And I remember when I finally, um, well, I'll get to that in a minute, but to, to really shorten this down, because I know we're, we're, we're getting really long here. Um, but... I remember it got to a place where they had actually the my my lead he had been moved to a different position my my uh, direct report my campus pastor had been moved to a different position we were still working very closely together but he had been moved to a different position and they brought a new campus pastor in um, mind you this campus pastor had gone to school with the lead pastor that they had just brought in um, so they were like recruiting from like they knew each other he These was guys younger than you he was younger than me the lead pastor the campus pastor they brought in was. I was 23 at the time. He was 22. Um, so it was kind of awkward as well there. Uh, he was not married, um, was not even in a relationship, did not have a Facebook even at that point in time. I mean, this has only been three or four years ago. Just was very, uh, and again, I think some of it had been in the church that he was, was leading at at that point in time. But 22, prior to being at the church he was at, was leading at another church um, as the lead pastor. Um, so was very successful for, for what he was doing. But we had sat down um, to get to know each other, had a great conversation, seemed like a really nice guy when I first met him. Um, and Stephanie has a way of reading people that I don't a lot of times. And I think that's where, uh, the, that's what kind of what the woman's job is in a marriage. Um, <laughs> is their job is to read the things that you can't. You know, your job is to be the support so that they can, they can, they can, uh, you know, be the lookout. And, um, that was most definitely what happened. I remember uh, she came to me after she got to meet him for the first time and she said, I don't like him. I don't like him. There's something about him. He seems nice up front, but something about him just gives me a weird vibe and I don't like it. And I said, well, you know, and I'm the kind of person, I'm, the, I'm devil's advocate for everything. I'm like, well, just give him a chance. You know, maybe it was just the situation or whatever. And I've kind of backed off of that since we've, since we've been married. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, but, but as you do, um, and, and uh, uh, I just remember she her saying that, and 
then I got sat down for a uh, corrective meeting because we had a situation with one of our musicians where he had been combative. Um, he was much. He was a couple years younger. Grew up in a very awful home life, and he was very combative to the point that I would tell him to do things. Um, he played drums, um, and so he had control of all of our tracks. And he would do things just to spite me, um, because he didn't he didn't like me. Like I would tell him, okay, start the tracks, and he would wait three or four seconds after I told him. Like we would have a countdown before service, and I would tell him start the tracks on this on this number and he would wait two or three seconds afterward and then start the tracks. So the tracks wouldn't start on time and I'm waiting two or three seconds for my tracks to start and come in my ear and nothing's starting. And I told him to do it and he would do this every week. It wasn't like it was a consistent and, thing. And then he'd make jokes about it. Mind you, yeah. we'd, we'd already had issues with this same person at the beginning of our relationship. Christian and I had dated for a couple weeks. I had gotten out of an abusive relationship. Me and this person were friends, mind you, early on. And uh, and he would hang out with us for uh, when me and St- early on in me and Stephanie's relationship. So. You're good. We'd all go out and hang out, and he would he would see us when we were dating for those first couple weeks. And then I kind of had prayed, and I was like, God, if you gave me Christian to take me out of where I was at, take him away. I won't be mad. And Christian called me later that day and told me we needed to just be friends. So we had stepped back from our relationship, and we had just become friends for a while. And while we were friends, I still wanted to date Christian, and he was still just kind of in a weird headspace. And this specific volunteer, Christian's friend, had kept coming to me and was like, you don't need to wait for him. You need to just move on. You don't need to let him treat you like this, which he wasn't even treating me poorly. He just was making me wait. And so... And did you did you become friends because of the church culture and that pressure? Uh, I think some of my headspace was because of that, truth be told. Yeah, I think the reason that... that we, we broke up in the first place was because I was in a weird headspace at that point in time. There was a lot of things that I was dealing with mentally at that point in time um, that were affecting me. And I think that was some of it. Yeah. Did you ever feel safe to communicate that to leadership or anything like that? Or <laughs> no, yeah, no, I, no. I knew the answer. That I knew was, the answer. Yeah, no, the that answer. wasn't a question. Yeah. That, that, <laughs> yeah. No. I, 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 I will say I did go to my direct report that the, the one that me and him had a good relationship. I went to him once about it. Uh, no, no, actually, I take that back. It wasn't him. No, that was a, that was another personal friend. No, I never. No, so yeah, no, I never went to anybody. No, just it just boggles my mind that you're at a church that says to love Jesus and love like Jesus, but on the inside you don't feel comfortable enough to be yourself that you have to go to Facebook groups and outside outside places to confide in. That's how it is um, in the staff culture of the church that we were from. That Eddie was telling me about. It's like you 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 feel like you can't be yourself because you'll lose your influence or your leadership. So what was it? What was the turning point at this church where you're like, okay, I'm done here. Like what was the, what was the, okay, I'm done. I'm out of here. Yeah. You know? So, um, I've, I've, I've learned enough. I've learned enough in stories like this, Joseph, uh, and all the podcasts I listen to, there's never one thing. Yeah. It's finally a last thing. Oh yeah. No. Okay. And, and Eddie, you, you hit that, you knocked that nail all the way through the floor. Yeah. Um, that it that that was what happened. It's that moment when you say, "God, I'm just going to trust you with it. You're going to take care of it. If you open this door, you can close it." And and you just kind of get to that place where you're like, and Stephanie Stephanie told me she said, "You just need to get out of there. You just need to leave." I've been telling you that. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. We were having issues with this volunteer. We were having all sorts of issues, just this, that, and the other. Uh, I couldn't tell you, but I finally had a conversation where I sat down with my direct report, my new direct well, report. Prior to that, um, right before the wedding stuff 
Oh, yeah. So we had actually, we were getting married. Um, my direct report that me and him had a good relationship is actually the same person that married us. Um, and because uh, we just had a wonderful relationship with him. Again, did still, our marriage counseling. Yeah, I did our marriage counseling. He's wonderful. I mean, we're just wonderful to us. Like I said, I can't say enough good words about him. But uh, uh, anyway, he, uh, uh, I had gone to the church. I said, hey, and this was, again, kind of where that turning point happened. I had gone to the church and said, hey, we're needing chairs for our wedding. Is there a possibility that we could use? I knew that the church had some, a set of wedding chairs. I said, is there any way that we could use, like, the outdoor wedding chairs that you guys have? We don't have chairs. We don't want to pay a god-awful amount for, for chairs. You know, can we use the chairs? I said, oh, yeah, Absolutely. I'd gotten that from my direct report. He said, let me just make sure with a couple of people. Yeah, I'll let you know. Um, so uh, we, they, we had, they had said we could do that. We could borrow some tables. We were set. Um, it was, it was, I was like, well, at least at the end of the day, if they're going to bless us with this, this is great. Um, a week before the wedding, a week before the wedding, I get a call from the executive pastor. Um, and he tells me that, no, we can't use the chairs. No, he didn't even call. We had to ask. Oh, yeah. He t- yeah, he texted me. He uh, texted me and said, no, we can't use the chairs. And no, you can't use the tables because those are not for events like that. You have to be a part uh, or uh, we don't we don't let people use those for non-church events. And I was like, OK, well, this seems like a church event. Half of your congregation is coming to my wedding. I feel like that's a that's a pretty good sized church event. And it's happening at a location that the church is that the church uses for their campus because we were doing we were doing it at the church campus um, that we had our, our that I was working at and I'm like well I think that's pretty well like a you know a church event um, at one point we were getting ready to move all of our stuff in together they had told us we couldn't use one of the church trucks I didn't have a way to get a van at that point in time I needed to move a couch that day they told us we couldn't use the church truck because of the same the same reason the the church was not it's for uh, ministry purposes. It's for ministry purposes only. That's what it was. It was for ministry purposes only. And I'm like, is my is is me moving out of my house not a ministry opportunity? Yeah, this, you know, this is, sounds is, like what you were talking about where you're so obsessed with the outsiders that you neglect yeah. people yeah. your staff. Exactly, and, and that's what and it was. Well, this leaders. isn't a ministry opportunity. This isn't an opportunity for us to go tell people about Jesus. So because it's not, no, you can't use it. Well, nobody's using the van that day. Sorry, you still can't use it. Okay, that's fine. I'll go rent a, a two hundred dollar truck and figure it out. And and so it was just stuff like that. Um, again, little little you know chiseling away. Um, and finally, Stephanie, like I said, she had been telling me for a long time, you just need to get out of there. And right about the time we got ready to to have our wedding, they had been preaching a message on our vision. Um, and the question that the pastor, lead pastor, had asked was, what does lo- what does loving like Jesus really look like? And Stephanie took to social media and she asked that question. It was just a very productive question of what does loving like Jesus really look like? And and uh, not to jab at anybody or anything. It was just like, what, what does this look I like? Wanted, because we were so confused at this point. I wanted a public answer. I wanted people who were not involved in this church to tell me, was I crazy or was I not? Because yeah. I didn't feel like I was being loved like Jesus would love me. So what does it really look like? And so I just asked everybody else on my Facebook. Yeah. And I finally, I, or, uh, what was it? Not even the next, not even. It, when, was, it was the same day. It was the same day. Not it was, it was an hour, hour or two later, I got a phone call from my new direct report telling me that I need to tell Stephanie to take her social media post down. And she, Boom. And they didn't, they didn't talk to you? No, they, they didn't, didn't talk, talk to, to Stephanie. You, Stephanie. We weren't even oh. married yet. <laughs> we weren't even married at this point. We were getting ready to be married. 
she they said you need to take that that down and on top of that i need to meet with you tomorrow at starbucks down the street he calls me on the phone tells me to tell stephanie to take her post down because uh he didn't even give me an answer he just said stephanie needs to take her post down didn't go to stephanie didn't text stephanie nothing just said she needs to take her post down and didn't give me a reason, nothing. And I'm like, okay, well, that's weird. So Stephanie, and she can hear the conversation in the background. She said, I'm taking it down right now. She's, of course, she's saying this where he can't hear it. Um, but she's like, I'm taking it down right now, whatever. She was just mad. I mean, livid at this point. And I would have been too. I'm like, she was asking a productive question, just trying to get some understanding. And they don't even give us a reason why we need to take it down. She needs to take it down. And then they're telling me, on top of that, I need you to come sit down in a meeting with me and the lead pastor. And we need to talk about some stuff at Starbucks. And I'm like, okay, I know what what they say. What did they say at the meeting? So, well, I mean, at that point I knew if they're wanting to sit down and have a conversation with the lead pastor, I'm getting fired. I know it. I know that's what it was. And I, I had said something when we were at church and they told us we couldn't have the chairs for the wedding. I had said, wow, that to the, to the campus pastor, I said, wow, that's really loving, huh? But I mean, I was mm-hmm. so done at that point. Yeah, we were just living yeah. at that point. I mean, do? what do you, yeah, what do you say? What do you do? You've just been abused and used and abused at that point. And so, Stephanie, if, if it helps you, Stephanie, my wife checked out almost the last five years we were a part of that church. Uh, she only went just to see people, certain people, not everybody, just certain people. And uh, during staff meetings and other things that we were involved with, uh, she was uninvolved. She was. Disengaged. I and, told I told Christian at our last month and a half there. I said I will go in and I will be there for worship, and then I will go out to the car and I will watch a sermon online. I was. I'm not watching the sermon from the church. I'm watching another sermon from another church because she was just so mad. I mean, and, and granted, I had to be in the building, so I stayed in the building. I did my job. If that meant going and sitting in the hallway and sitting on my phone the whole time until I had to go back in and do our last song, that's what I did because we were just checked out at that point. I, right. I, everything we were being told from the pulpit though it was fantastic was not the same thing we were seeing on the back lines. And so finally, uh, a couple, I'll say this, I meant to mention this earlier, a couple of weeks before um, this whole thing had happened with, um, with the pastor wanting to sit down after Stephanie's post, he had pulled me in the room and he had wanted to have a vague conversation again at a, co- at a coffee shop. Wanted to have a vague conversation with me about um, uh just about what was going on um, at the church. We had had that whole issue with the volunteer being uh, being uh, divisive, and so he just wanted to sit down and say, this is what's going on. And he sat me down talking about this, this volunteer, and I explained to him, we need to just do something about this volunteer. If that means asking him to just step away because he's being so divisive. He was just being, he was being verbally abusive at one point. He was just very abusive. Uh, yeah, he, he punched, a, punched a wall while we were at the church, um, in front of other members, in front of students, because he was so angry at me. Um, he was just very ab- abusive and, and needed, he, he really needed some mental help. He was just dealing with a lot of stuff with his personal life and his home life. Um, and so I was just really trying to be, you know, to help him because I knew at that point I was still maybe his friend. And um, after the whole conversation, that volunteer had gone to my, my new direct report and talked with him. And that's when we had this conversation at the coffee shop. And he sat me down essentially told me that I need to leave the whole thing alone uh, and, and said, um, sometimes when you work in ministry, you just have to learn to bend over and take it. And at that point, that was enough for me to say, okay, I'm done. 
you just you just you just suggested rape whether it was whether it was psycho whether it was emotional or not or physical or whatever you just suggested rape i'm done and at that point that's when i checked out mentally emotionally physically i was just i was just there to lead worship i couldn't even lead worship anymore it was just i was just there i was just a vessel trying to allow god to use me as much as i could i mean i was walking in I, I would go home and throughout my week try to fill myself up, and then I was just dumping my whatever whatever was left in my cup uh, on you know onto the conversation, whether that was you know a, an ounce of an ounce of spiritual liquid, you know whatever that was. I was just I was done. I, I was barely getting filled to try and fill up the rest of my conversation during worship. I can't do that. I, I mean, mm-hmm. and, and if you've ever been in, uh, I say this to the people that are listening. If you've ever been in in uh, and ministry and, and felt that I can only imagine the amount of emotional and psychological pain you're going through because it was, that's what it was. It was just this, you're pouring yourself out. I mean, I remember after service, I'd just be exhausted. There were times I remember I could not even pack up. I'd have to tell Stephanie, I got to go sit out in the car. I got to relax for a minute. Cause I cannot do this anymore. And I would tear down the stage. She would have to do everything stuff. because I literally mentally and she was so wonderful during that time because I literally mentally and emotionally could not do it anymore. I was so exhausted. And this was, was like a- after a service, like on a weekend. This was after service because I had to. We had to break down. And after service, I just told her. I said, I, 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 I mean, I literally was essentially saying to her, I have to check out. I can't right now. I literally can't anymore. I'm so exhausted. I'm just emotionally tired. And and so. Sundays were hard for us. All mm. we would do was argue. Yeah. Because. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, and then once we left, it was so much better. It was yeah. We would we would literally have arguments, um, from the stage quietly because we couldn't have these out loud. God forbid they saw any sort of weakness between our relationship. That image thing. But, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Exactly. We were having these arguments amongst each other. Um. I mean, and I oh goodness, the amount of, uh, <laughs> the vulgar language that I was using at that point in time because I was so angry. Um, it was excessive. <laughs> I was mad. I mean, and I'm sitting up there putting these drums together, you know, just jamming stuff together and, and saying every profanity I could possibly think because I was so angry. I was getting frustrated at her for stuff that she wasn't even doing wrong. She was doing what I asked her, but because she wasn't doing it exactly the way I wanted to, I was getting frustrated because I'm so emotionally drained. Well, and mind you, I have no idea how to properly wrap a cable at this point. So, like, <laughs> I'm like, um, okay. And the everyone else who was there, like the church leaders, we're standing at the back drinking coffee talking. Yeah. And we're trying to set up this whole stage oh by gosh. ourselves. So they're just watching us do it, and they would do this every Sunday. Yeah. Christian, uh, Christian, let me tell you this. I used to lead missions trips, and sometimes there would be 60, 80 people on the trip. And I would be so exhausted, not because of leading the people on the trip, but making sure that everything went well so that I would not get in trouble. That, that was, that, that was my, my major, major focus was not getting in trouble. So sometimes I'd be short, unkind, under pressure, absolutely tore it and still trying to look the part, just trying not to get in trouble because I, I, you had to please them. Oh man. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. So I really love what you said, Christian. Oh, I, I don't love it. I, but I feel like it encapsulates spiritual abuse so well that sometimes in ministry, you just got to bend over and take it. That's so graphic, but that's a, that, that's a vivid picture of what happened. So there's two things, there's two things I want you to dive into because we're getting a little close to time. Cause you were mentioning to me about the significance of image. And that seems to be the suffocating power that 
got you to to this point that obsession with image and not so much a positive image but an image that you can't that, that that is impeccable so you aren't judged so you don't get corrected can you can you talk about that briefly and then second thing you were talking about that thing about christian virginity and all that stuff that i also want you to kind of talk about as well um so so if you could dive into those two things well, as we give me your first question one more time um the obsession with image and how oh, yeah. that can suffocate you over time yeah oh my gosh yeah i mean that was that was that was the key to it all it became a common saying around um around our home after we got married um, it's not what it is. It's what it looks like. And that's why I said that earlier, because that was the common phrase. Uh, it's, and it was a joke. It was a joke because we knew, we know that should never be the way that it is. It shouldn't have to be that way. Unfortunately, due to our culture, it is that way. It should never have to be. It's not what it is. It's what it looks like. But some people deal with things. Some people yeah, are. Does, it's doesn't, like God driving, not look, doesn't God not look at the outward appearance, but look yeah. at the heart? Yeah, I mean, it's the same thing when you're driving down the road and you've got some stupid idiot driving in front of you or whatever, you know? You don't know what he's dealing with. They don't know what you're dealing with. And guess what? There's a certain amount of grace that you have to be willing to give because you don't know the situation because it's not what it is. It's what it looks like, rather. We're, we're so caught up in this idea that it is. And so you're, you're feeding that idea into your, into your church culture. And people that aren't at the church are seeing that whether you want them to or not, they're seeing that. If they see that it's not what it is, it's what it looks like, why would I want to go to a church like that? Why would I want to put myself in a place where people are nitpicking everything I do from the second I step in their door? Not even that, from the second I, I park my car on the property. You know, I mean, it's, it's just, it's, it's ridiculous. It's, it's not fair. It's psychologically demeaning and, and emotionally emotionally demeaning it's just i can't i don't even have the words to express it it was so psychologically suffocating yeah psychologically suffocating that you just don't even know you can't breathe and i remember feeling that way when we were there was one of those moments when i felt like i couldn't even break down the, the sanctuary those were those moments you're just so psychologically suffocated that you're like i've just got to stop i can't so so how are you now Oh my gosh. Um, I just remember the day that, that I walked into that Starbucks and they told me that, that they were letting go, letting me go. And Why did they tell you they were letting you go? I can't, what was the because reason? Because of my post. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. I never said that. <laughs> the reason that they me? were letting me go, it was the next day. It was the day after she posted that they were letting me go because of her post. But you that was exactly the reason. Yeah. Oh no, but that's not enough. That's not enough. It affected their image. So, and, and, and mind you, Mind you, the post was, what does loving like Jesus really look like? How is that's that affecting your image? How is that affecting, that, that's, a, that's a valid question and a great question after a message that the pastor just preached about what loving like Jesus really looks like. Let's hear it from the culture outside the church. Let's see what they think. What a great and, and positive question to ask the community. Well, and what a good ministry tool. When you give me your answers, then I can say, hey, how about you come to church with us next Sunday and you can hear what loving like Jesus looks like, you yeah. know? They had no idea what my intentions were, and they fired Christian over it anyways. And mm. But I mean, to answer your question, Because Eddie, it's not what uh, it is, it's what it looks like. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And, and, but to, answer, I mean, to, to, bring, to bring it back home, to answer your question, um, the, I just remember the day, you know, you have those moments, and my, mo my, my mom has always said it this way, of that moment when you're like, you know, when a bad thing is coming to an end, but you don't want to let it go, it's that whole, <gasps> <sighs> 
Like, you're just relieved. Like, you're like, you're in shock that it's coming to an end. Even though I could see this coming from a mile away. You're, you're shocked to see it come to an end, but it was just the relief of it was over. And I remember, I remember how wonderful, I really do, I remember how wonderful a day we had after I found out I got fired, essentially. <laughs> we had a wonderful day after that, me and my wife, or me and my, my fiance at the time, me and Stephanie. I just remember it was just such a wonderful day after that of just like, and we joked and laughed about it. It was just like, you know, you couldn't help but like joke and laugh about I mean, it. I mean, we would like, do stuff or say stuff and we'd be like, oh, wait, we can say that now. We can do that now. <laughs> we could, yeah, it was just, yeah. It was just, Yeah, my wife and I do the same thing. They fired, how long before your wedding? You were getting married in no, a we, week and they fired? Before our wedding. Not, yeah, it was like less oh, than that. No, 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 it was we, like, we yeah. And, and they were underpaying you. And they were underpaying you when let you use the church property, so you had to rent that stuff on top of your low. Oh, it's just oh, yeah, fired Christian. Saying? They fired Christian that Monday or Tuesday, and our wedding was Saturday, and we were leaving for our honeymoon on Sunday. Nice. The whole thing is just a lot of ins and outs and left and right turns. But I, truth be told, I think you've probably encapsulated the whole thing in just a few words. It was just, yeah, it was, it was suffocating, and that moment of right after of walking out of that Starbucks. I remember walking out and I was so glad they couldn't see my face because I was smiling from ear to ear when I walked out of that Starbucks because I was so happy. And it goes right back to, I just remember the thing that we constantly are looking for when we're looking for a church is just health. Just some place where we know that we know that we know that what we're hearing from the, the pulpit is what's, being, is what's being shown on the backside. And... I know that, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just dragging it out now, but I just, I, yeah, the, the huge breath that I was able to take after we left, it just felt like everything just floated off my shoulders. Um, it was, so do you feel like that 14 year old, 15 year old kid at camp again right now? Oh my God. Cause I know you, I know you didn't that way when you were employed at the church, but do you right now? the amount of times that I've seen God show up since we left has been awe-inspiring. Um, it's, it's been so amazing to see God show up in a way that I never thought he even could prior to all of that. I mean, and, I, and I'm sure that just comes, you know, the wisdom comes with more and more age as you get older. But I mean, I, I just remember... Not necessarily. <laughs> uh, I, I just remember how, how I felt then and the amount of times I've seen God show up since we left. Um, and the amount of times I didn't see, I couldn't see God. I'm going to say couldn't, couldn't see God because of where we were at, because it was, because it was so clouded. Um, and, and that's what it was. It was just like this. You, you, I felt like, I feel like Saul turning into Paul in that moment of just like, you feel like the scales are falling off of your eyes and you're like, I can breathe again. I can see again. I can, I can speak again. It was just, everything came back. Like I was like, you're a little kid. I mean, I wanted to skip and jump walking out of that Starbucks that they weren't sitting behind me watching me leave. You know, it was just I'm like, getting a, I'm getting a tattoo here very sh in the near future. And it's going to say one word and it's going to be freedom. Cause that's how I feel now. I, f I just feel free and it's the most amazing thing. It really is. Uh, it's an amazing thing. Wow. So one thing, one thing I want to, say to our listeners just as kind of like a commentary of what we've just uh listened to is like spiritual abuse is not always overt spiritual abuse is not always obvious 
Um, I think there were some more obvious instances in, in Eddie and my story or, and um, Adam's story, especially there was a lot of overt stuff, but, but in Christian and Stephanie's story, you, you can, we got to get a very up close look from the moment of Christian feeling called into ministry to where he is now and how in between there was just this slow suffocation of life to the point where he just, he just didn't even have the energy to do, to, to do a lot of stuff in the, in the apex of what he felt he was called to do. So if you're in an environment where you feel like there's like this snake wrapping around you and slowly coiling you around and slowly squeezing the breath out of you, it, it, don't, it's so tempting for us to gloss over that and say, well, I'm in the call of God. I'm just being attacked or I'm being persecuted and I need to just press on, or maybe it's my fault or whatever. So Christian and Stephanie, just as kind of like final thoughts. If, what would you say to somebody who's on staff right now, who is kind of on the fence of like, well, I don't know if I'm in a spiritually abusive environment. That's, that's a harsh term right now. Um, but it's a situation kind of similar to yours. What would be your, what would be your words of encouragement to them? Um, right snack right in the middle of that. I think it kind of, for me, I think it, it comes to one word is, is listen. Uh, not only to God, um, but to the people around you. Uh, the people any, around you that care about you. Not even, yeah, I mean that especially, but, but I think, I think in those moments, I wish I had been listening more to the commentary that was going on around me, to the people that were, that were talking behind my back, that were um, not kind, that were forcing my hand, that were chiseling away at me. I wish that I would have listened. I wish that I would have heard those little things. And, and, and so, yeah, I think, I think that, I think that really encapsulates, just listen, when God is speaking to you, he will speak to you in your prayer life, but he will speak to you through the people that love you and hate you as well. Um, and, and you have to, you have to have an open ear, unfortunately, uh, at all times, uh, until, uh, until you know the health of the situation. Well, and something that, I mean, my grandma, my grandma raised me and something she's always told me has been the people who know you, who know you the best tend to be, I don't even remember how she would put it. Basically, my grandma always told me like her opinions of my friends and she almost, I mean, nine times out of 10, she was always right. And if I had... If I hadn't listened to her, I probably would not be in the situations that I'm in now because I would have been picking horrible friends. And something that just being a part of that church and then going through all of this, the big thing that comes to my mind is don't be afraid to just walk away. I've lost so many friends by just walking away from something because I felt like it wasn't the best thing for me. And sometimes I've been wrong, but... I always told Christian, I said, Christian, we just need to leave. We just need to leave. We just need to leave. But that was his only source of income because the hours they were asking him to work, he couldn't work anywhere else. And so what he wasn't able to pay in his bills, I was paying for him. There were times when we first started dating, he would literally eat a burrito for dinner because that's all he could afford was a burrito because he had to make a car payment. And I was like, no, we're, I live at home. We're going to go out and eat. We're going to get you something good. And I would just buy him dinner and I didn't care. 
It wasn't a charity case. It wasn't a, oh, I feel bad for you. It was, I was just helping him out because I cared about him. But I just kept telling him, Christian, if we just leave, everything will be okay. And you just have to trust that God is going to take care of you. Because since we've left, there's been nothing but, I mean, we've blessings. just been, yeah, receiving so many blessings. I mean, even through COVID, we've lost, I lost my job for six, six weeks, seven weeks, something like that. Um, and now I'm on maternity leave and I mean, we've just received blessing we've, we've never, blessing. we've never struggled for a dollar since we've, since we've, it's been tight, yeah. but I mean, we've always been able to pay our rent. We've always had a place to stay. We've always had food. We've always had heat and air, you know, water. I mean, we've never struggled for the necessities. We may not be able to go buy what we want, you know, but because we took that step and we were like, you know what, we're in such a toxic spiritual place. We've got to get out of here. We have to just trust that God will provide for us. And he did. Yeah, that's good. And I, I love what you said about like not only listening to people around you, like outside voices, but listen to those inside voices objectively and say, is what they're saying congruent with their values or is it something else? Are they showing me hate or love? Because I think correct me if I'm wrong, I think the thing that drove you guys crazy was all that was preached from the pulpit was quote-unquote love, but all that you experienced back in the background was judgment and and just a no after, after a no after a no to the point where they turned a blind eye when you were struggling financially and didn't help you in this quote-unquote megachurch. And it's just, you know, the, the proof is in the pudding, people, and it's just like you got to examine the fruit and you got to examine... You can't just base stand on somewhere based off of what they're saying from the pulpit. You've got to go much deeper than that or else, you know, it'll suffocate you. It'll drive you crazy. You know, and I want to answer your question from earlier because you asked, you know, what do you, your, your question was along the lines of how, how do you, you know, what, what do you, what do you look for in a church when you're looking for a church or something like that, wasn't it? Um, a healthy church. Yeah. What is a healthy church? Um, the thing that I remember uh, my friend saying now that we've now that I've had an opportunity to mull over all of this is he said, what kind of fruit are they bearing? And you kind of said that. What kind of fruit are they bearing? Are they bearing hate? Are they bearing anger? Are they bearing uh, jealousy? Because those things are going to come out. Control. Yeah. Uh, are, are they bearing love? Are they bearing joy? Are they bearing peace? Not to quote the Bible, but, you know, are they bearing patience, kindness, goodness? What are they bearing on a regular basis um, that because you're going to see those things come out and not only in the church life, but in your own life. And and that was something that I remember him saying, and it was when we were talking about healthy church, that's always stuck with me is what kind of fruit are they bearing? What kind of fruit are you bearing? Um, You know, and and that's so important. Um, Are you doing what's right? For yourself, bearing in mind how it's going to affect others, and affect your church, and affect everybody else, you know, it's your heart is just as important as every other heart in that church. And when somebody tells you that it's, yeah, if when somebody tells you that it's not, and they start trying to chisel away at your heart, that it's not their place. Uh, only only God knows your heart. Only God can make those changes. And yeah, I, yeah, I mean, it, you, we just, you can't let people try to do God's job. That's what I'm trying to say. 
and, and the church and those spiritually abusive relationships, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to do the job that only God can do in a way that is not productive whatsoever. Where were you 30 years ago? I could have used that. <laughs> uh, but I just want to, I want to thank both of you for coming on our podcast and being vulnerable. And I, I'm just letting you know that it's, it's amazing. The texts and emails I'm getting from people that I work with, that I grew up with, that I used to go to church with that are listening to these podcasts. And it's, it's, healing people. When Hannah had the podcast with me and Joseph, and she shared that that thought of where the senior pastor of the church we used to attend took over the role of parent, that's the first time I heard that, and it broke me. But that hour that we spent filming or recording that podcast, that was a healing moment for us. It was, and, and we're digging out of this, and, and we're probably as, as a healthy place as we've been as a family since we've been a family and um, it's a process. It takes time. It takes time. So uh, here's the good news for you guys. You, you've been through some stuff and I apologize on behalf of leaders in the body of Christ for what you went through, but you, fa- you, you didn't get in. You, you're young and it hurts. It stings, but you've learned some valuable lesson that you will now be the leaders that, the body of Christ in the church needs to help people in the future that will listen, that will be kind, that will be, that will be there, that will hear the voice of God. And it's more, it's more important than a, a building or how it appears when someone walks in. It's, it's people's lives. And w- whether that's someone walking in for the first time or someone who's on staff, uh, you know, I don't know what God's going to do with you guys in, in, in the future. But you've got things on the inside of you that's really going to help people. So thank you for taking time out of your afternoon with dogs and baby and everything else going on and spending time with me and Joseph to to help people. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. I appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity. Well, thank thank everybody for listening to the Spiritual Abuse Podcast. Um, I hope that this made you think um, and gave you some red flags to look out for in your church. If you are in a similar environment, um, as always, please, um, leave us a review on Apple podcasts, like, um, the YouTube video. If you're watching on YouTube, subscribe, reach out to us at the spiritual abuse podcast at gmail.com or leave a comment anywhere that content is. Um, like we say all the time, we just want to hear from you. We want to hear your story. We want to hear what, how this podcast is affecting you. And who knows, maybe in the future, um, you could be a guest on this podcast to share your story. Um, really helps um, like Eddie said brings healing to a lot of people so thanks for listening and have a blessed day and we'll we'll see you next time